When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper, the number one tennis podcast in Q8 this week. So thank you to all our Q80 listeners. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, my, um, I was about to say, someone I know spent a lot of time in Q8, but I'm pretty sure that's classified. Anyway, I've got George Belshaw here, whose location is not classified and who hasn't signed the official secrets act this week. Uh, George, how are you? Yeah, I'm... Uh... Not too bad. I've, I think you'd be quite impressed with me, James, because we're, we're recording at 8am, which is unusual for us, and I've already been to the gym before this. So. I mean, your, your quitting drinking is going well for you, clearly. Yeah. Um, so what time do you have to get up to do that? I'm just considering whether that's even feasible. Yeah, I, so I woke up just after six, and I was in the gym for half past. So. Oh, right. Do you live very close to the gym? Mm. Oh, okay. Well. I've, yeah, I've joined one that is a four-minute walk away, which <laughs> I think falls into the category of, like, I have no excuses not to get there. Yeah, that's true. That, so the problem for me is, like, I, I don't mind getting up in the mornings too much. Like, I, I will semi-regularly in the summer get up at half five to go and play golf. But, like, the gym is still quite busy at that time in the morning, and that really <laughs> fucks me off. It's just, like, I've I've gone to the effort of getting up really early, and it's still... And I don't like other people in the gym at the best of times. It's still <laughs> full of total arseholes. Um Anyway, uh, Calvin, he's not in the gym that we know. In fact, we have no idea where he is. Uh, he was due to be here, but he has uh, quite consequently uh, no-showed. If I was going to give him a defence, I think, James, because you're in France, you're at nine o'clock, and I think he might have got confused for messages. So I've got a feeling he might jump on in half an hour or so. You think the time we'll zone see. might have done him. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. Uh, look forward to finding out exactly what his excuse is. We've already had one technical hitch today, which is George was really baffled as to how his camera wasn't working. I pointed out it might not have been plugged in, and uh, <laughs> indeed it wasn't. Uh, anyway, we're here now, or at least some of us are here, so uh, we might as well crack on with what we've got. Uh, we've obviously got to talk about Labour Cup this week. Uh, we'll also talk about that Nadal interview, uh, performance buys, Maria Sakari. 
Ji uh, Wang Ji Yu, and also Caroline Wozniacki and Paul Wer- uh, Paul Wertheim. I was at school with a guy called Paul Wertheim. Person I mean is John Wertheim, um, <laughs> who's got some beef with Caroline Wozniacki this week. Uh, as always, if you want to leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes, or just say something nice about us on Twitter, it is allowed. Although most people choose to do something quite different. Um, you can do so, and we really like it. And if you leave us a five-star review somewhere, frankly, even if you just go on Twitter and like just, just copy and paste five stars in, I probably would read it out. But I always read out five-star reviews. Uh, this week, there's one from Liker12345. It says, one of my favorite tennis podcasts. I absolutely love this podcast and look forward to the new episodes. Really honest and very bang-on take on tennis. Great banter between the guys and really great tennis knowledge. Thank you for keeping me up to date with all the latest tennis news. Uh, you're welcome, Leica. We do our best. I, I think that's overly generous, and I don't know if we uh, fulfill all of those categories, but we do our best. Um, I'm just looking. We're definitely guys, That's and sometimes we're not all guys. But other than that, I don't know if I can necessarily uh, accept all those compliments. But thank you very much, nevertheless. George, let's start on the Labour Cup because we've had an email uh, you can email in uh, to tennisunfiltered at gmail.com. Lots of people do every week, and uh, I do try and get around to reading as many of them out as possible. But if you sent in an email and I haven't read it out, sorry, there are a lot of you. Um, and I'm also bad at reading emails at the best of times, as my work colleagues will tell you. Uh, this is from Kerry, who says, thought I'd share a quick couple of notes on the Labour Cup weekend in Vancouver. I'm from North Vancouver, and I bought tickets on the pre-sale back in February. I really enjoyed the event. I've been to the US Open, Roland Garros, Barcelona, and Monte Carlo. However, the tickets were crazy expensive. I'm an avid fan, but even I bulked at the prices in the lower bowl, $4,000, uh, which is about 2500 British pounds uh, for all the sessions. I was higher up for $1,700, about £1,000. I mean, fair play to you, Kerry. That's a lot of money for tickets. Um, the demographic of attendees is definitely older. I'm 60 plus. It's simply too much money for families and younger adults. I think it's a missed opportunity to market tennis more broadly when slams and week-long events are far less expensive. I think it needs a rethink. I personally thought the tennis was great. It's so much better to see it in person, so much faster, and one can truly appreciate the athleticism required when you see it live. I quite agree, Kerry, as you know. I will venture a guess that Ben Shelton made a lot of fans off the weekend, including me. He was amazing on the court and seemed to be a great cheerleader. I think he was the MVP for Team World. Love the pod and keep up the good work. Cheers, Kerry. Um, George, let's maybe start with the tennis, uh, because Kerry's made mention of Ben Shelton there, who... We've talked about a few times on the pod. Calvin's coached against him. Um, I've interviewed him. Probably is the perfect environment for him, right? It's sort of college tennis times about 10. Yeah, and I think that I'm not sure we're going to be overly positive about the Labour Cup in in this segment. The the one really strong feature of this um, format is the way the players are interacting with each other, that you can bring out quite a lot of their personalities in a, I was going to say, a, a more relaxed format, but I'm not sure it was totally relaxed this weekend. Um, and, and that is a huge plus of it. And I think, you know, if you think it's where it was really successful when it started, it was particularly kind of bringing out the greats of the games, getting them together, you know, having Federer and Nadal, Federer and Djokovic all interacting together. But I still think there's a, a, a strong plus point in introducing a newer generation in kind of bringing out their characters in this sort of format, getting them interacting with each other, building a bit of kind of faux rivalry and 
animosity on the court uh, potentially as well. Um, so that that's definitely a strength. And, and look, you know, was it Keris who wrote the Kerry. 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 Um, you know, I totally agree in terms of when you go and see live tennis, it's it's spectacular compared to on television. I think it's probably the sport more than any other that doesn't capture the brilliance of the athletes on television or, or the furthest gap between the reality versus kind of what you see on the television. Um, that's not to say television coverage is bad. It's sometimes easier to get a tactical view of the match, but actually the raw brilliance of the players, I think, is somewhat uh, undersold uh, mm. via mm. a camera. Um, so, yeah, there are some plus points. The price is something we've spoken about at previous Labour Cups as well. It's farcical, and those prices sound even higher than when they were in London, which, you know, is some going, really. Um, mm. Totally agree. I think if you look at this lineup for this tournament, it's really hard to justify those prices, to be honest. Um, and even, you know, that's not... It's not downplaying that point that the tennis is always great live and you're always going to enjoy it when you go but it, it just feels such a shame that some of these events aren't more accessible when you're trying to introduce these guys and I mean I don't know I, I'm not sure exactly what's happened with the Sunday tickets but they only played one match didn't they um, in, the, in the final day they, they called off a few of the other ones or... yeah they didn't play the singles <laughs> so that doesn't feel I hope someone got some money back for that or if they put something else on I didn't really follow what happened there? Uh, so yeah, uh, let's talk about the ticket prices because yeah, it's absolutely valid, and it also sort of tunes into something I noticed. I got a big PR email from uh, Labour Cup organisers this morning uh, with a load of facts and figures on it, and one of them they were keen to uh, note was that the Labour Cup partnered with the David Foster Foundation to raise some funds for uh, what is a Canadian-based charity. And I thought, okay, well, that's good because, because you know, one of the things I think that if it's going to be an exhibition and we can talk about whether it's an exhibition or not, one of the things that it should do as an exhibition is raise, you know, money for charity. Um, the David Foster Foundation uh, provides financial support for um, families of children who are suffering from serious illness. So, you know, I think we'll all agree, pretty good cause to be... Um, raising money, specifically in uh, organ transplants. Uh, just checking that one. Um, do you want to know how much money they raised, George? Um, 100,000. 160,000 Canadian dollars, which is less than 100,000. I was picking in pounds. Obviously. Right, yeah. But well, I'm guessing it was close. <laughs> I mean, I think that is less, uh, less than 100,000 pounds. Now, just for context, um, and thanks to Kerry for those numbers, because that helps a little bit with the maths... If you had given away 95 lower bowl tickets, uh, that would have covered the cost of the entire charitable donation of the uh, of the event. Now, as I say, it's not a charity event. And I think if you go back to, and I remember talking to Tony Godsick about this, that this event exists because Tony Godsick and Roger Federer were sitting in the back of a car in Shanghai having played an exhibition and Roger basically said, I've made more money today than Rod Laver made in his entire career. That doesn't seem fair. And, you know, there are two sides to that comment. One is, gosh, Rod Laver, you know, comparatively was underpaid and that, you know, that, that era didn't make as much money as they should have done. The other side is Roger going, I'm not making as much money as I should be. And 
you know, this is a, this is an exhibition event, but it's also an invitation event where a big check gets slapped on the table for the players. And Gael Monfils, you know, said it. He said, "I'm I'm lucky to be here, and I'm very well paid to be here." And you know, there are there's some arguments about market forces whereby, yes. People are paying to be there. Yes, the tickets are expensive, but I'm fairly sure it was pretty much a sellout, if not close to, for every session. So, so well, why wouldn't we make the tickets that expensive? I don't know. It just feels a little bit venal to me just to be like, well, people are going to pay these very expensive ticket prices. You know, we built, I was reading about some hospitality suite that they built that they had three and a half thousand people in over the weekend and took them three months to custom build it and all the rest. And I dread to think how much the tickets were, but I, I surely, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm over romanticizing it, but surely there's more to tennis than just making money out of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, tennis is one of those sports where you, you do have a very um, financially strong section of a fan base by its very nature. You know, the fact it's so global means that if you want to be a, a real fan traveling around to lots of events that's, that's going to cost you an awful lot of money so there are people out there who who can and do do that um uh, but i think you're right james i don't even think it's so much romanticizing it i think it's more tennis is permanently talking about trying to open up and reach different people and i just don't see how that's possible and i think particularly when you're taking these events around the world to places where they don't have events so regularly um it, it's a bit of a shame not to kind of open it up to people who are nearby and they may well have done this but you know even stuff like schools having 100 tickets is something i'm always quite quite mm. pro you never know who you're going to really kind of inspire that young age but from one um from kerry's review it sounds like it was hitting mm. the same old people who are already kind of interested and you know that's no problem they're going to enjoy it it's good to have full seats that's not always something tennis can take for granted and it's good it is you know a popular event but i think in the long run it's it's so easy just to take a quick quick um grab for cash without really thinking mm. where's this going to be in 30 40 years and that's why they'll probably end up sending the selling these tours to saudi arabia because mm. they've not grown the game well enough they've not thought about long-term investments they've not built it sensibly and you, they'll take quick hard bucks and then at some point oil money in saudi arabia will probably run out and then they'll be stuck with no one interested mm. it's a very bleak outlook <laughs> it's very bleak um i think the other point to make is uh it's all very well calling it team world when it's basically team english-speaking north america um i know and um, Sharandola. <laughs> But like I, you know, Juan Ignacio, who's a Chilean tennis journalist who's well worth a follow on Twitter, um, was pointing that out exactly that that it, it, it's not a team world, is it? It's it's just you know, the English speaking world, quite frankly. And mm. when you look at the the locations as well, like again, I think it comes down to selling expensive tickets. That it would be a great opportunity to take the Labour Cup to South America, you know, if if you could get Alcaraz and you could get. I don't know. I was going to say Diego Schwartz, but, you know, Juan Martín del Potro, Juan Martín del Potro as a vice captain or the captain. Um, yeah. You know, Albanian. 
Yeah, on, yeah, on or the someone, coaching stuff. I mean, David, do people really get? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, neither here nor there. But you know, there's an opportunity there. The South America lacks a really big event. You know, the the biggest event they've had there is the Rio Olympics, which, let's face it, didn't have a lot to do with tennis. And and then it's the the five hundreds. There are, there are no bigger events in South America, so um, that seems like a bit of a no brainer. And and the, you know, take it somewhere interesting, somewhere new, because realistically, like if you've got the lineup, and actually the problem now is they don't have the lineup. Like that, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty underwhelming. With with the greatest of resp- look, Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz, Tommy Paul, Felix, Ben Shelton, the Team World team, I think you know, puts bums on seats generally. The the Team Europe, you know, it's a little bit underwhelming. And, it, you know, in the end, it came down to Gael Monfils, who, who I think by his own admission was pretty lucky to be there and had sort of just been randomly called up, basically. I mean, Arthur Feast played, and, and he's an exciting, talented young player. But, you know, if you're picking an actual Team Europe he doesn't get into the first six or even the first eight because Runa and Sitsipas pulled out. So I think this is the real... It was always going to be the test of the Labour Cup. He's like, does it does it have the legs to exist beyond just Federer and Nadal? And I think the reality is the, the biggest occasion of the entire weekend was Jim Courier interviewing Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal asking him a question on the big screen. And I think that tells you all you need to know, that... The Labour Cup had an absolutely sainted beginning and it, it made Roger the money that it was supposed to make him. But the reality is that there isn't much more to it, I think. Um, you know, the format, I think, is a nice idea and it would be good if everyone knew the rules and whether, you know, and, and this is what it comes down to, George, is that video of Gail Monfils and Felix Audrey arguing about whether it was an exhibition or not. Um <laughs> I mean, funny, obviously, but was it an exhibition? Yeah, I mean, it is an exhibition, and I. It was, I, I guess, from the on the one hand, I'm not not surprised. Roger Alia seems taking it quite seriously, given he can't win a bloody match to save his life at the minute. So, you know, there's a degree to which you want to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it it was just quite bizarre how wound up he got by that, you know. Mm. It, Really, kind of asking the umpire to was it enforce shot clocks and things like that. And, well, so what and was it? Is long... Monfils had played a particularly long point and then just decided to sit down and delay <laughs> the next point. And Felix was like, "Well, that's a time violation," which obviously he's right. But like, it, and I kind of, I, I kind of sympathise. Like, it, you know, you, you need to know the terms of engagement here. It's an exhibition event. So, so I mean, Calvin, we talked about this offline and. Calvin's point was that there are no ranking points and that it's an invitation list, therefore it's an exhibition. But I think you can, you know, you can create a kind of proper competitiveness despite not having ranking points or that. You know, yeah. there, are no, there are no ranking points at the Ryder Cup, but that has, un- and I know it's dangerous to translate sports onto what other others, but that has untold capital and obviously it's taking place this weekend. Um, but yeah, I don't know, George. Yeah, Davis Cup doesn't have ranking points mm. from for a tennis example. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think ranking points necessarily makes it. I mean, it. I think the big question I'd love love to see if we get any emails answering this question is: Did anyone give a fuck if Team Europe or Team World won? <laughs> yeah, seriously, mm. like, was anyone sitting there watching it 
from a from a tennis perspective thinking god i'm invested if team world win this god my weekend's <laughs> going to be ruined if team world don't win this god this is a time to really stick it to europe i'm sick of those you know <laughs> europeans and what they're all about i i just i just can't imagine anyone in the entire world sitting there thinking that about either of those teams being that invested and i don't mean from like a single player perspective like if you've already got a strong affinity to one of those players for whatever reason you might think well i want them to do well therefore i want their team to win i mean purely the teams who gives a crap like genuinely mm. I'd, I'd love to know and that, i think that, that's where this competition is really stuck is i think they'll keep being able to market it and selling it to certain cities for quite a long time and i'm sure they will be able to get people like alcaraz coming back and i think that will be a nice thing about it but it's never not going to be an exhibition event because it's got ridiculous criteria for who's playing you know none of these players really are top six in the world for their own i think probably tfo maybe for one side, you probably could still get six players on Team World who are possibly better. I've, yeah, I've got the rankings in front of me. But... Well, he's, I think he's, I think his his entry ranking, for want of a better phrase, I think was maybe eleven. I think he's still eleven in the world. Yeah. So you would actually struggle to get six non-Europeans better than him. But yeah, like I, I think to be fair, I think Team World, barring like, I guess you maybe have Dubinor in there. But, you know, I think Team World pretty much was the first choice. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure Ryanich, you know, as a reserve would necessarily get in, but allegedly his protected ranking, not that you would have been using protected ranking, um, is 33. So I suppose it's, give him some credit for that. Russia's been in Europe, hasn't it? <clears throat> in this as well. Uh, yes. So yeah, because Rublev was playing for, for Europe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, actually looking at it, yeah, you've probably got Nicholas Sherry who might have been involved, so that's, that's about it. And to be fair, he would have put bums on seats because they, they would turn out for Nicholas Sherry. So we like him. <laughs> but, but it's funny, it is a bit funny how this has swung as well, isn't it? Because the other narrative that kind of pervaded the first few events was how the hell are Team World ever going to beat Team Europe? All the mm. good players are concentrated in Europe. And actually, if you look at the top six of the rankings at the minute, they all they would all turn out for Team Europe if they showed up. Now the new issue is that no one in Team Europe gives a crap about turning up because Federer is not there, really. I, I yeah. kind of feel like Federer was the big pull, wasn't it? Where people... It's also a big check. Like, I mean, that, that's also the reality is, like, what the top six guys don't need a big check. Um, uh... But they do often still take it when they can. <laughs> I mean, but it, it's a serious question, though. I mean... Have they decided against giving out the big checks to the big guys and thinking, actually, we can still flog these tickets due to its kind of vague association with Roger? Well, Why would we bother with big appearance fees? We'll never get the actual numbers, but I would be interested to know the ticket. Like, I mean, pe pe people seem to say that the tickets have been hard to get, which would suggest it's relatively sold out, but... I would be interested to know the actual attendance figures. Um, we'll never get them or we'll never get true ones anyway because you, you can just lie about attendance figures or talk about... I know Arsenal talk about tickets sold even though half their season ticket holders don't turn up. But anyway, that's a whole different point. Um, but, you know, if people aren't buying the tickets, then... Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it is, just in terms of the strength, we... There's one top ten player who's turned up. Two, Rublev and, and Root. Is that it? 
Rublev and Fritz, yeah. Six, eight, Rude and nine. Rude is even six, eight, and nine. It's, it's not, it's not, not really, ready, is it? Right, is it? No. <laughs> Jinx. Uh, <laughs> well, look. Uh- Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, George, you, you pointed out a good tweet from Chris Clary, the great former New York Times um, reporter. Uh, what's the team event that tennis should be prioritizing? Davis Cup, Labor Cup, United Cup, or Billie Jean King Cup? I sort of said Davis Cup because I think that's the one that has the most cachet. It has it? It just seems like if you're going to pick one of those, that's the one to go for because it's the biggest already. But I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? I think Davis Cup probably the more most steeped in history and actually feels like it does matter to players. So mm. from that perspective, I think that's the best competition, um, you know, with respect to the Billie Jean King Cup. I don't remember having as many huge Titanic matches that where you had the best players in the world playing each other. Whereas mm. I, I do remember kind of really epic Davis Cup struggles, particularly in kind of the previous format. Um, you know, even like Del Potro v Chilich, Argentina versus Croatia, that felt like it meant a lot as a final mm. and you could watch it and feel it. I've never really felt that so much with the Billie Jean King Cup. And that's not to say it can't get there. It's just, yeah, um, it's just more, it's just been going longer, hasn't it, to be honest? Mm. And it's been a lot more kind of traditional. But So I think, yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to agree with that. Equally, having said that, I like the idea of a a male and female joint cup. I think that's something I, I can't really believe tennis hasn't nailed. Yeah. In terms of not a crappy contrived Hopman Cup thing. Not that I mean it's necessarily crappy, but you know, in terms of bringing an actual competition with ranking points across both tours, I think that would be a really strong product. And I buy that. I don't. I just. I see the Labour Cup being that vehicle. I just think that's the most obvious flip for this i really do like i think that'd be so much more interesting if you had sviantec playing for europe and you know if you got osaka back playing for team world coco goff for team world i think like combining the two tours in this format wouldn't change it materially you just change the doubles to mixed doubles and you have a men's singles a women's singles you get more star names it'd be great crowd promotion I can't imagine it affecting ticket sales. It just feels a complete no-brainer for me. And when you see this lineup of men, you're like, fucking hell. So get the women on board because, you know, you may as well join and sell them. The, the women, if you put the top 
women who I think would turn up to play this event because they would recognize it as a big right, financially be marketing event. Mm. Anything linked to Roger is going to be decent. Yeah, I think they genuinely leave with us with much more praise about their matches than really the men would. And and also you you'd have more tennis. Like you know that the, there isn't a lot of tennis in these. You know, there's, there's there's three singles matches and a doubles match, which is decent enough, but it means you only have three sessions. And as you say, George, the Sunday session, there was only one competitive match. And I used the word competitive very kind of loosely, <laughs> um, albeit, you know, it did go to two tie breaks. But what I mean is, was it an exhibition? Wasn't it? I don't know. Um, it's hard to, you know, I think they did do a... a, a <laughs> The, the irony is they did a post they did a post tournament exhibition doubles match on Sunday, George. I can tell you, which would suggest they're trying to convince you that it wasn't an exhibition before. Um, <laughs> but the, this te- this match between Chris Eubanks and Alejandro Davidovich Fakina and Artifis is an exhibition. I mean, great for the Canadian crowd. Just on a side note, to get Milos Raonic out playing one more time, like he's obviously had a bit of a comeback tour this year, but exciting for that. Um, so your answer is the Labour Cup, think, but mixed. The Davis Cup is the current competition that is worth investing in, but a reformed Labour Cup could right. be could be the way to go. All right. Okay. Uh, very good. Um, on on since we're talking about the Davis Cup, kind of <clears> vaguely, um, we should talk about the ITF, uh, who've just had their <laughs> just had their elections um, for president. Uh, which there were only two entrants, uh, the current incumbent, David Haggerty, and Dietloff von Arnhem, who I don't know much about, and frankly, not many people did. Uh, courtesy of Stu Fraser, uh, von Arnhem provided a personal statement of five words in his profile in the meeting's agenda. Haggerty's was 160. Um, I know that von Arnhem ran a bit of a PR campaign. I, I know that people had meetings with him. I was invited to one, actually, but I, it was quite early in the morning. <laughs> Quite frankly, um, but from people who did go, I there weren't a lot of fresh ideas on the table. And I think if you're trying to displace someone who is a current incumbent and clearly quite a popular one, because David Haggerty got seventy three percent of the vote, um, then I'm surprised it was that low. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <clears throat> um, then you do have to offer some new ideas. Well, you say you're surprised it's that low, George, but you know the, the ITF have not done very well. Uh, let's face it, the Cosmos deal has been an absolute disaster, mm. and it says a lot about the lack of available, like available other options. That he did still get seventy three percent vote. I mean, it, yeah, I think you always have to remember with these <clears throat> sort of member organisations that how you and I perceive well isn't how member nations perceive well, and it's mm. a very FIFA esque situation that actually Haggerty only needs to keep. Poorer nations on side with better funding than they're relatively used to. So while he may have pissed off a lot of the kind of major nations, I think um, I would expect him to have quite large strongholds in a lot of kind of you know relatively tennis poor countries where he's been able to kind of up their funding. It's kind of got a strong. It's how Sepp Blatter was so in with so many nations before. I think Haggerty has kind of played quite a similar um, similar game. Um, which, yeah, I say game. I mean, that is that's how you win these things. Um, and it's much easier for the current incumbent to do that um, and kind of keep that, that 
that relative stronghold power. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think anyone would look at look at it um, objectively and think the ITF has been <laughs> running tip top shape for the last ten years. But um, if you know, I, sus- I suspect the member nations are probably making as much as they ever have at the at the lower end of the game. And but you know, the world keeps on turning. Yeah. I mean, that is the kind of, yeah, you mentioned FIFA, and probably when you compare something to FIFA these days, you have to say there's no implication of corruption at the ITF. <laughs> no, um, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying corrupt, but I mean, no, it's I the know, same I'm... sort of thing. I mean, I, so I went, to, you know, not to be too boring about this, but I went to Nicaragua when I was doing a kind of my dissertation as a student uh, for my journalism master's, and, uh, you know, I'd be kind of random white bloke rocking up in Nicaragua I got quite decent access because their football isn't particularly developed and you know their their head of their FA who I interviewed was you know spoken glowing terms about Seth Blatter and they had a picture of them in the office and uh, Blatini <laughs> what, and... Like, like he was some sort of dictator like, did yeah. they all swear allegiance to him every morning <laughs> but but the numbers when you got under the skin of them and talking to them were the equivalent of like they'd been given £250,000 or something um, you know, and it for for a very poor nation that allowed them to invest in some infrastructure. They they didn't seem overly bothered about the, the broader state of FIFA or whatever. You know, it's it's what um, it's all relative, isn't it? I guess what 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 kind of allows you to kind of invest in your own country and kind of take it forward. So yeah, I mean. It's, it's not necessarily corruption. It's just more. How can we help these countries and keep them keep up by the votes in a not so obvious by the votes way? Good. Yeah. Well, and my efforts to uh, to head off the libel suit at the uh, at the part have really fallen uh, flat on their faces. So um, we'll move on quite swiftly, I think. Um, Calvin is going to be joining us uh, shortly, um, as predicted. George, he got some time to time zone confusion um but what i will do is i'll sub george out and i'll sub calvin in uh, well as soon as possible quite frankly um <laughs> let's just quickly talk about maria Sakkari, george mm. um whose name i've probably just mispronounced which uh, i know one particular listener thinks is absolutely heinous but i don't speak greek I, well I, to be honest i do speak a little bit of greek but i can't actually remember where the emphasis is on um, maria Sakkari's name i'm right it's Sakkari. um she won the title in Guadalajara. It wasn't a great draw. She played She played Dolly for that kind of draw. Um, Caroline Garcia was the only seeded player she played. Um, she didn't drop a set. No, not a great achievement in kind of head-to-head terms, but I wonder how big that is to now have won a thousand-level title and have that in the <clears> bank, <throat> if you like. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure from her perspective it will feel quite big and a big achievement and you know i'm always a bit reticent to kind of <laughs> say it's not an achievement because it, you still have to go out there and beat these players and the, there is quality in there um but i mean as a as a master's run goes storm hunter camilla georgi emiliana ranga totally out of form caroline garcia and caroline dollarhide i mean I mean, that's got to be right up there for the worst ever Masters. You know, we flagged this tournament last week as one that someone was going to get a huge number of ranking points for winning the equivalent of a 
Is it even the equivalent of a two fifty? Just about, maybe. I mean, I think it probably is a two fifty. Yeah, two like of those that. players are ranked outside the world's top one fifty, so not even necessarily a two fifty, really. Hmm. Mm, maybe. You know, <laughs> it's borderline. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, she's not dropped a set. It's good for her. She'll keep her ranking much higher. I, I suppose from some perspective, at least Zachary has had some form over the last few years to be that high up the rankings and it's not someone who's going to be necessarily overranked. But she hasn't really played to that ranking this year and will kind of keep keep up there based on this result, really, I'd imagine. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it kicks her back into the form we know she is capable of, but... I just, I just think that, that this this tournament was ruined by incredibly poor scheduling decisions, um, and I'm sure it was still a great event, and I'm sure fans still went out there vociferous and enjoyed it. Um, but it deserved to be a better event, and it deserved to have better players in there that couldn't couldn't realistically go, you know, didn't want to justify going because they were all having to fly off to the other side of the world. For matches this week, basically. Mm. Um, so yeah, bit of bit of a shame, really, but good for her. I'm sure she won't be complaining. That's a <laughs> that's a solid, solid whatever nine hundred, one thousand points she's picked up there. Yes, that I, I, I are we still in the era where WTA thousand events aren't worth a thousand points? I can't remember whether that's still the case. Is one of the weirdest things around tennis, or stupidest, or whatever you want. Um, I do, weird things about tennis performance buys. Now I am going to ask mm. Calvin about this when when he replaces George um, for a substitution that is fast approaching. Um, but uh, on the politics side of things, George. So so if people who aren't aware. Um, Sakari and Garcia got a buy in the first round of Tokyo, which followed Guadalajara, and it was it's a so-called performance buy, which actually has been used in the Asian events before. I think one of the Chinese events used it quite regularly before Chinese tennis stopped happening. It's now back, obviously. And basically, as far as I understand it, Jordan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, if you're going well the week before, they say, okay, well you're still playing, you know. 10,000 miles away so we'll give you a buy in the first round to give you time to get here and what it means is that someone seeded higher than you might sacrifice their buy because of that is it is that that's that's basically it right yeah broadly speaking, yeah um I, i'm not 100 percent sure of the ins and outs of this in terms of strict criteria um in like presumably you have to be a top ranking. eight seed yeah yeah i'm not 100 percent sure on that side of things um yeah, I mean, I understand why Rebecca is pissed off. I, if I'm being really, I don't know if this is controversial, but I, I'm not a huge fan of buys full stop. I, I think they should all play the same number of matches if they're going to win a tournament. And I think it, you know, it actually opens up more slots in the draw for players to play if you put on yeah, an extra match. Yeah, but it's a match. sweetener, isn't it? It's it's like okay, you don't actually want to play this 500, but I tell you what, you don't have to get here till Wednesday. Yeah, like it, it makes sense for the tournament, like to to to, but to they, get. But they, but they do, but they do buys at things like Indian Wells and Miami, and mm. I don't think yeah, they need them there, for example. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not a major fan of them to start with. Yeah, you know, but if you are going to have them, probably does make sense to have them for the players who've 
got the highest ranking, I guess. Um, but I also, who's got a long way logic. to go? Like, you know, I think it makes perfect <clears throat> sense that Sakri... Because Sakri would just have pulled out. Like, she would have just gone, you know what, I've just won Guadalajara. I don't mm. need to play this pissy little 500 and, like, fly around the world and play on Tuesday. Whereas, as it is, you give her a first-round bye, she's probably still going to turn up, might not get there till Wednesday, might not even play her second-round match till Thursday, maybe. And all of a sudden, you've got an extra star in the field who's just won a tournament. And in terms of maintaining momentum, and okay, I'm sure Maria Sakkari's, you know, maiden WTA 1000 title in Guadalajara didn't make headlines all over the world. But in terms of maintaining a bit of momentum with a player who's just won a tournament, you know, we talk about so much in the women's game, someone wins a tournament, then you don't see them for six months. Well, this is one way to make sure that they keep playing is by creating this system. So, but as you say, George, uh, Elena Rabakina, who should have had a first round by on the basis of her ranking, and then didn't get one and was pretty annoyed. Um, there is one wrinkle here, which is that several players, well, I think a player hinted that they didn't know about it. and they Maybe Rabakina said something about changing the rules at the last minute. And yeah. I mean, unfortunately, lots of people picked that up and said, oh my God, WTA, what they've done. And then um, Nicole Melishar Martinez, friend of the pod, who plays a lot of doubles, and I think is a player council member, although I could be wrong, she certainly has been, um, pointed out that it was on the fact sheet, which mm. is, you know, that that's the, the sheet that when you sign up to the tournament, you know, two months in advance, that's the thing that says, here's everything you need to know, like, here's where the player hotels are, here's how much the strings are going to cost and all that stuff okay, maybe they should have made a bigger deal about it and like been like, by the way, just so you know. But, uh, you know, it's not beyond tennis players to not read anything, is it? Yeah. I mean, just just on the kind of travelling far point, I mean, you wouldn't really need a performance by if they actually, actually scheduled their seasons properly. Right? <laughs> you know, if they weren't making players fly from Guadalajara to wherever the hell they're going this week on the other side of the world, then probably just could play a bit more normally so yeah I mean as I say I, I, at the end of the day Rebecca should be able to win a first round match anyway so it shouldn't be the end of the world for her and mm. if as we love to say tennis is a meritocracy which I'm I'm more dubious than Calvin's claim that it's quite <laughs> quite like that um, then I, I think she'll be alright but Maybe she was just shot and decide to lose the game. The match well, instead. I think she's also pissed off because she's got Linda Noskova in the first round, who is a very talented young Czech player and more than capable of springing a surprise, um, which I would probably be a little bit pissed off she, as well. She'll be even more pissed off if one of Sakari or Garcia pulls out of those matches. Can you imagine? My God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That would be pretty outrageous. Um, George, before you have to go and do a real job, have you got anything else that you, you particularly... I mean, there are still a few things on the running order that I'm saving for Calvin. Um, but is there, have you got any particular bees in your bonnet this week that you want to exercise? Um, not overly. I mean, uh, I think, obviously, Calvin will be able to speak to this more um, with more interest and enthusiasm, but it was great to see Liam Brody crack the top 100. So I think I just I would like to explain my congratulations to him before I toddle off. He's also... so excited that you have reached out to him there, George. He will be <laughs> over the moon. He'll be buzzing. Um, yeah, not not massively. I 
I think maybe um, I was a bit confused. Maybe you can help me with this one, James. Why are Chengzhou and Zhuhai got their finals on a Tuesday this week? Has that been happening before, and I've just never noticed this? Or it, it, it's it's news to me if it has been happening before. <laughs> um, I am so rambling around. I mean, yeah, I can't even really think of a decent reason I, for that. I was thinking it might be running into a Masters event that like starts on the Wednesday, but that, that's not the case. That no. Shanghai doesn't start for another week I or mean, so. Well, I think it could be that, because Shanghai doesn't start for a week that, but Beijing and Astana also have their finals. Like, Astana's final is on the Monday, oh, I think, okay. or on the Tuesday, sorry. All right, so it might well and be that, yeah. The Beijing final is on the Wednesday, but I mean... Look, if you want me to be cynical about it, they don't sell any tickets in Beijing anyway, so why not have the final <laughs> on a Tuesday or a Wednesday? Because like, it doesn't make a damn. that is weird, and we will investigate it more maybe uh, next week as well. Um, George, thank you very much for joining me. Um, in a moment, I will switch you for Calvin. Now, by the magic of television, I've replaced George Belshaw with Calvin Beton. Quite the transformation, I think you'll agree, from caterpillar to butterfly. Uh, Calvin, how are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Back in Barnsley after a um, few days in Saint-Tropez. So yes, two not very as... similar places. <laughs> not as long as it could have been, eh? Uh, well, actually, like the time was, because it just rained for three days. So, <laughs> right, um, <okay. laughs> so yeah, I ended up not getting back until Friday night anyway, which would only have been one day earlier than what I would if they'd have won the tournament normally. So, um, <laughs> but, one, of those, uh, yeah. one of those things. Um, well, uh, commiserations, obviously, to uh, Luke and Henry, but uh, there was some good British news and also someone you know very well in Saint-Tropez, which is Liam Brody making it all the way to the final and by dint of that, reaching the top 100 in the world for the first time. Um, it's obviously been everywhere and he's, you know, many people have offered their congratulations, Calvin, but you obviously have known Broads for a long time. You know, he's, he turned 30 in a couple of months and he's, he's finally made top hundred for the first time. I mean, it's a testament to a lot of hard work and years of, of grind in some ways, I suppose, for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, I've known Broads since he was 14. Um, the first time I saw him was when he was 14 playing at Doncaster British tour. <laughs> and he's probably the best 14 year old I've ever seen mm. um, when I saw him then. And I think he was, he was the best 14 year old in the world uh, at the time. And I would say probably the best 15 and 16 year old in the world at the time. And then tennis being tennis kind of lost his way and not in a mentality or anything like that kind of way. His game just kind of, he had some issues with his forehand for a good few years, but, but, He's such a competitor that he kept himself, kept himself winning, kept himself there or thereabouts, and had some ups and downs. He's been up and down the rankings a few times, um, but again, such a competitor and somebody who just loves playing tennis, loves competing, always has a positive attitude. Absolute great lad, one of the one of the really great lads in tennis, uh, and I'm over the moon for him um, that he's achieved that. Because I know he's been it's been something he's really wanted to achieve. Like some players. They just go. It's not. It's just a number. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't guarantee you anything per se. Just that number. But Broads has been been very fo focused on getting top one hundred and um, and yeah. Hopefully you can dig in. I mean, it's it's a weird one because I was talking with Luke and Luke's probably his best mate, and he said that you, you know we were talking about getting him getting in the top one hundred, and I said that when 
people break the top one when when someone breaks the top one hundred, I think people think that oh right, that's it, it's done. But there's no reason why you can't just drop out the top one hundred a week <laughs> later, and you just don't want to be that player. And um, and but I think now he's ninety three. Um, and he's got, I don't think he's got loads of points to defend for the rest of the year. So I think it pretty much guarantees him direct into Australia. That would be right. thing. And, that, um, and, that, and that's obviously got a lot of point implications and, you know, you get yourself into that straight away and you maybe win around and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's when you start. I mean, there, there is a, I don't know if it's a truism or not, but it's harder to get out of the top 100 than into the top 100 um, <laughs> because the the point, the, the tournaments that you're getting in and the points in those tournaments and that kind of thing. So we'll find out if that's true, but hopefully it is for Broder's sake. I guess, you know, it's interesting because it's not the same, but when players win Grand Slams, they sometimes, the first one, they sometimes talk about, you know, oh, I did it. And then I was like, what now? I mean, to a certain extent, for someone like like Liam, like, what now? Like, is it just a case of like, right, I've now got to work on maintaining this, or will he now think, right, top fifty, next goal? Yeah, I think I think it depends on the profile of the player and that kind of thing. I think what I think with Broads, and it's the same as that he's played his whole career. Really, he plays a lot of tennis, plays a lot of tournaments, and he churns out matches. It's matches, 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 and I guess. When you're there, as I said, it doesn't actually make any difference in terms of what you're playing in that it, it makes it more likely that you'll get into the slams. Mm. But it's not just if you get if you become 100 or 99 in the world, you're automatically in slams. It all depends on who else enters and what, you know, what, what the cutoff is and that kind of thing. Um, so I think what, what he'll do now is he'll just want to play as many tournaments as possible and try and just keep climbing. Mm. Guarantee. It's all about, you know, that's the main thing. It's guaranteeing main draw in slams until you start winning so much that you then think, well, I won't mind getting seeded in one of these. Yeah. Um, but so that's, you know, top 50 is obviously a nice a nice number, but I think it's the next step really is seeded in slams, which is, mm. I guess, in theory, 32, but it's often down at 36, 37, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, George added his congratulations, which I know I know mean a huge amount to Broads, and um, I add mine as well, which will mean absolutely nothing. But um, just as a guy, you know, I, you know him much better than I do, Calvin. But having met him a few times and interviewed him, and he's a, I was thinking the other day that as and when he eventually hangs up his uh, his racket, which I'm sure will be, he's not even thirty, could be a long way off. He will be, a, I hope, a very good addition to the sort of tennis media sphere because he's such a good talker and such an honest talker. I yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know if he would ever want to do it. But. I mean, he, what I was about bros is he absolutely loves talking. <laughs> and that's, that's a dumb thing. I think everybody knows that. I mean, we, I had a good hour with him last week in Saint-Tropez. Well, the, me and the lads did, me and Henry, and he travels with his brother, Callum, who's a great lad as well. Um, and, and the four of us just had chewed the fat for a couple hours um, on a couple of days actually <laughs> just about the, the state of tennis and that kind of thing and mm. obviously British tennis was covered and um, Davis Cup and all that kind of thing so he, he absolutely loves talking mm. well, could, do um, with a, could do with a better football club to support but... <laughs> yeah yeah he's a City fan unfortunately which well no one's perfect anyway um, 
Well, maybe, 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 Calvin. One of the next goals he might aim for is getting selected for the the, uh, the Labour Cup, which, uh, frankly, on their current selection criteria, being ranked inside the top hundred is probably just about enough. Um, George and I were discussing it and whether it matters or whether it doesn't anyway. But I suppose the the thing that we discussed offline and um, it, uh, this week is is the the Gail Monfils question. Is this an exhibition? Is the Labour Cup an exhibition event, or is it a proper tournament that people care about? I can't see it. I can't take it as a serious event where, right, for one, like the two captains, and everyone knows I've got so much time for John McEnroe and Beyond Borg. The two captains don't really do anything. Right? In, in all the matches I watched, they barely said a word, particularly Borg. Although mm. Borg hasn't said a word since the first <laughs> Labour Cup about six years ago, has he? I was going to say, Borg hasn't said a word since about 1986. Yeah. But... Um, and. So that's one. I think, like you know, that we've basically got these two figureheads that don't really mean anything. McEnroe, to be fair, this was the, the most quiet I've seen him. I think in previous years he's he's tried to actually get involved a bit more. You've then got the Gail Monfils thing, but I think what was most what made me think most that this is not a serious tournament. Like that, not everyone is focused on absolutely winning this tournament. When on Saturday, Team Europe selected Gail Monfils to play doubles. <laughs> and I had a look. Gail Monfils has won three doubles matches in the last six years. Like So w- with what you've got in the squad, why would you think, right, we desperately need to win this thing? Points are double today because it's Saturday. I'll tell you where I'm going to play doubles. I'm going to play the guy who's only won three times in six years. <laughs> that If you're doing that, I can't take it seriously that that the, the, the coach, that the, the captains and the teams are taking it seriously. Mm. That just doesn't, that to me just had, looks like this is what we've got. We're just going to see what happens. And, you know, I mean, even for this, even for the state of the tournament, I thought at that stage, because it was then you were then thinking they're probably only going to have to win one match on the last day to win this. We need to prolong the tournament. Mm. So I'm going to play the better doubles players. I mean, it doesn't help because they don't have any... I watched the doubles last night, the match that won it, and as a doubles coach, a coach who works mainly in doubles at the minute, the standard of that match was terrible. <laughs> like the, the the actual ball striking was good because they're all very, very good players, but tactically and, and that kind of thing, the standard was horrendous. So mm. it's not like... I don't get the point really in having doubles if we're just going to put... If we're only gonna, we're not gonna bring doubles players in to play it because it really only had there was a novelty fact. The only reason they had doubles in the first place, I think, was because there was an opportunity to see Djokovic, Murray, Nadal, Federer playing doubles together. Yeah, I don't think anyone thinks. Oh, I tell you what, I'd really love to see at Davis Cup this year is Rublev and her catch teaming. <laughs> like, like that's all due respect to those two players, but um, yeah. I, I, I really struggle to see. It, the problem is, people say, oh, I, th- I think it'll collapse soon. You will always get an arena that will fill people, that will fill with people. Like, I know that Vancouver is a very wealthy area mm. and it's got a huge tennis base where people will want to see it. So, for once a year, for three days, there's probably enough of those places around where you can actually fill it. You can fill arenas for it and get enough interest. It's not like a tournament where you've just got to, you know, you've actually got to go for a full week. How mm. much, and you'll always probably get TV coverage. Someone will sign up for it, but mm. 
So I'm not certain. I know a lot of people going, oh, it'll, it won't be here in five years. I'm not certain of that. But it, it just doesn't, you can't take it seriously. It doesn't work, does it? Do you think people ever took it? Do you think, you know, we George and I were saying that obviously the Federer factor was huge at the beginning. Do you think people ever took it seriously at the beginning? Uh, to a degree, but I do think that the one thing I feel sorry for him is that it, it's always been lopsided one way or another. I think when it was initially set out, that if you'd have thought when it, you know, sort of, what was the first year? Was it 17? I think it was 17, yeah, that sounds fair, right. If you'd have run it in 17 and thought, right, you had all the team Europe where you still had the big four and they were doing well, but then you had on the other side, say that if you'd have had like Del Potro and Nishikori at the time, you thought, well, at least we can have some, it's going to be competitive here. But for the first few, it was obvious Team Europe were going to win it. Last year was probably the, the closest matched, I think. Mm. But then you add, I say it was closest match, but, in th- but when you actually break it down, it wasn't. Because Federer couldn't play. Um, obviously, he retired straight after because his knee was in no shape. Nadal couldn't play. Nadal only came to play because Federer was playing because it was mm. Federer's last tournament. Djokovic was in... You know, his head was in the shed, I think. So he he wasn't really that bothered about it. And then Murray wasn't wasn't playing that well. And and so, and also of all those people you've named, Nadal played no singles matches. Murray played one, and Djokovic played one singles match. I think and, um, didn't um, Murray played once? He lost to Dimonor, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So Murray played one singles match. Djokovic played one singles yeah. match. Oh, sorry, yeah. Djokovic played two singles matches and lost to Felix on the Sunday. I missed that. Beg yeah, pardon. yeah. Um, so, I, I think it, it... No, I don't think it has really ever mattered. But again, we come back to this thing of... Like, we were talking in the group, James, the other day about, you know, well, the, the, what, how does the, what does the Ryder Cup matter? But you can't just bring something in from another sport. The Ryder Cup's a situation because of the, how the tour works and that kind of thing. And and also, golf being golf, it's less its less likely that somebody is just going to win all the matches on the first two dates. Whereas in mm. tennis, you think, because there's factors, you're not just playing against the other person in golf, you're playing against the course yeah. as well. So, whereas in tennis, if, if you've got, the, the better players will usually win. And in, again, the thing in golf is that the, the, the players are more tightly packed as to the standards that they can play at. And you get things like some players are better at match play than they are at stroke play. Whereas in tennis, just a tennis match, the better player will usually win. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking when you said that about the Ryder Cup and why it matters. And I, I suppose, yeah, it is the fact that there, at least there used to be and there won't be soon. But anyway, there sort of still is, you know, an American tour and a European tour. And certainly going back over the years, um, you didn't get so many players playing across the two and so there was a sort of genuine not enmity but a divide between the two and the rider and i don't know why it's taken on such a special and important nature now but i get i guess what frustrates me and i know you can't do this calvin but is that the the rider cup is exciting because it's unique i think because yeah. it's different and it's a format that people don't see and the problem with tennis is somehow We've tried to do it so many different ways and it's never quite worked because not everyone has got behind it because it's yeah. a sport with seven governing bodies. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true, yeah. And um, boxing is the same. Boxing is desperate to have a really good, 
like formalized knockout for want of a better word <laughs> structure but they can't do it because not everyone agrees on it and, yeah. and you know the one time and this is going to bore people but the Muhammad Ali trophy from the the world boxing uh world boxing super series what they called it um the one time they got all the best boxers in the same weight category uh together it was absolutely box office and you had like eight fights or seven fights in the space of 12 months that were almost all brilliant and all involving some of the best fighters in the world. And I think that's it. If you've got a tennis team tournament where all the best players turned up, it, it wouldn't matter like how crap the format was or whether it was held in Timbuktu. Yeah, but I also think in terms of like where, where it stands, you can't just will the public into it. You know, it it's the Ryder Cup has been a situation where you've got the four majors in golf, but when the Ryder Cup happens, I would say that's equally as important to some even more important to some people than a couple of the majors hmm. whereas in tennis you've got the four majors there no tournaments no nothing's ever going to be as important as any of those just because of the way that that tennis is structured and the way that people see tennis and i don't really get why we would want to change that what what's the point in it and then you've got the davis cup and there's too many to, you know, we keep, everyone always talks about tennis, like, oh, you know, we need more team competition. There's too many now. There's like <laughs> four now. Yeah. And like, does anyone really care about any of them? We would just be better off having one. You can maybe have two. But th- this one is, this will be the first, I, th- I do think it'll end up just being exhibition. Hmm. Um, let's move on. Uh, we've had another email. Um, well, we have, we've had lots of emails, but here's one I'm actually going to have time to read out. It's from Sammy from Gold Coast in Australia, who says, uh, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine about Djokovic's domination over the last few years. I've heard and read many times that people's view of Federer's early slam wins was that they mean less as they were in a weak era. Uh, if people have that view, then surely the same must be said about the last three or so of Djokovic's slam count. The next gen, as some call them, have been brought up on best of three set tennis, except for the Grand Slams, and are just not battle hard enough. Many of them just don't seem to have the ticker to see out tough matches over consecutive rounds of consecutive tournaments. When Novak, Andy, Rafa, Stan came onto the scene, etc., many of the Masters thousands were already still five sets in the final, were they not? Davis Cup definitely was. The tournament is a shadow of its former self, but that's for another day, quite. Um, the younger guys only ever get to play best of five four times a year. It must be a huge adjustment for them. Um, yeah, it's not a bad question, actually, Calvin. The best of five, I mean, it's obviously different, and it's longer and mentally more challenging, and if you don't do very much of it, then it is pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, most of the Masters, I say most of them, I don't know exactly which ones, but some of them certainly used to have a best of five final, mm. um, even up until 10, 12, 15 years ago, uh, mm. I think. Because I know Federer and Nadal have played some best of five um, in such as Miami or Indian Wells or stuff like yeah. that. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 probably valid to say that, um, although... Not many of them are also making Masters Series finals, so the, the, the next gen. So I, I think it's. I mean, I watched when I watched Labour Cup yesterday and watched some of these players. It struck me that in the big scheme of things, these guys are actually not that good either. They obviously are good in terms of the world tennis as it is now, but in terms of what those those other guys were up to in their primes, I I don't think that some of these guys are as good as that. Or, mm. or, or anywhere near. So I do think this is a really... We're heading into a pretty poor era, I think, other than Djokovic and Alcaraz, a little bit of Medvedev. 
Do you think we kind of had to adjust adjust our expectations then of what tennis is going to look like in like ten years time? Um, no, because I just think it'll end up. Well, maybe depends what your expectation is. I think it'll just end up being what what it was in Federer's early career, where you've just got a few guys who will end up making slam finals that kind of thing i think it's probably not as strong as that era to be honest at the minute but you never know who's going to come through you never know what yeah. happens um but there's a lot of players around who you really had high expectations for when they started their careers and they've just not kicked on and i'm talking about city pass um felix shapovalov tfo all those guys were all those guys were exceptional juniors and and they they followed the path that i would say that federer djokovic nadal murray nadal's a bit different cuz he didn't play much juniors but um and he was a bit, bit of a freak how he came through but they all followed the path of what you would expect of what all those top guys did and then just stagnated at the stage where before they won a slam or before mm. they were, were making regular finals of slams. And that can only be a mental thing for me, because it's certainly not a physical thing with, with some of those guys, with mm. any of those guys, actually. They've all got the physical attributes. but And they have they do all have the tennis attributes. Shapovalov has his weaknesses, but the others, and, and Tsitsipas, obviously. But, yeah. Very good. Um, I've got one more question or, or topic which I wanted to pick your brains on, Calvin, which is performance buys, um, which, as I mentioned earlier, is, is where they've been giving, well, in Tokyo, they were giving players who reached the semis a week before um, a buy into the second round. I mean, the kind of pros and cons of it are, are sort of obvious, but one thing I thought was interesting was that Nicole Melishar Martinez mentioned on Twitter that the, the fact that there was a performance buy in this tournament had been mentioned on the fact sheet for the tournament. Now, I posit that players very rarely read the fact sheet in any sort of detail. Um, I don't know whether it's at the top level, but I know my lads always read the fact sheets, mainly because it's got the prize money on it, um, <laughs> which which to some players actually matters. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and, and stuff like, it's got other stuff as well. Now, they, they, most of them read it because I don't know whether they read it top to bottom. It's also not that long. It's two pages. Mm. But it has things like the hotel details and that kind of thing on. So most players will give it a look unless... I guess maybe if they've got managers and stuff like that, maybe they don't. They just get told. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the performance buy is an interesting one. I've actually gone back and forward about it a little bit over the weekend. Now, it was raised to me by um, by Luke, who I coached, that the other day he said, well, aren't all buys performance buys? Because <laughs> and, and it's a fair point, isn't it, that, mm. that it's based on how good you are. Uh, but and I, I don't really like it, to be honest. I don't see how you can... You can just have a buy based on what you did in the previous week. Um, I think what would be preferable is that tennis needs to sort its calendar out and stop having tournaments on different um, on different continents in consecutive weeks. But then again, the players can choose which tournaments they play. They don't have to play everything. Um, and it just so happens, look, you play your final on a Sunday most of the time. There's a chance you don't play until Wednesday anyway. So even if you if you don't have a buy, if you do have a buy, you won't play till Tuesday. But you know that we're we're talking here about two players in the whole week. 
making mm. the final. If you lose in the semi and you don't play again while Tuesday, you don't need a bye for that. Mm. If you know what I mean. So I don't think it's really something that they should be doing, to be honest. Like the buys should go to the players who who deserved it based on their rankings. Mm. I suppose I mean the argument is that do you want to have the most players playing, you know, the most top players playing each tournament. And if if someone is going to have less time to, to travel, then they're more likely to pull out, which is what we often criticise tennis for, is players not playing enough tournaments. So It is, but then again, like this, for example, you've got a tournament in Guadalajara and then one in China. So... It's like, in that, is, is an extra day really going to make any difference on that? <laughs> Like and it's, it's only still going to be jet lagged to fuck. Yeah, and it's only for two players. So yeah. you, you know, and one of those players I think is seeded anyway. Always mm. getting a but was it was no no none of them. Sakri would have uh, no, she wouldn't have got a first round by yeah yeah yeah. Mm. So on that basis, I'm I think it's again it's it's messing with something that, that there's bigger issues to solve. Have a proper schedule, like yeah. you, you, you know that 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 would make more sense or. Um, don't go to China while they're still keeping people prisoner for what they said against the government. That would be another thing. <laughs> that would help. Uh, where's your schedule take you next, Calvin? Have you got a few weeks at home? or? Um, I'm at home this week. I don't know. Maybe I'll go away next week or certainly the week after. I'll go with Henry somewhere because Luke's gone to America um, today. So I'm not going to America. Uh, he's gone for three weeks. I will be going somewhere in Europe. We don't know where yet. It depends on a few things in terms of getting in the tournaments, what um, where, where, what the entry lists say and that kind of thing. So I think Henry will play a couple of challenges and then um, there's some 250s in Europe when once once the weird China swing ends where we just seem to be starting tournaments on random days and having finals on <laughs> Wednesday afternoons and that kind of thing. Well, as I said to George, if you, they don't sell any tickets, so you might as well play the final whenever you want, to be honest. Um, I find it I find it so strange that I get I can kind of get the first one because it was um it was the week after Davis Cup mm. but um for the whole stretch to be starting on Wednesdays and finishing on Tuesdays is is very odd. Yeah. Um and I don't get why they've really done that. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. it raises again, though, this thing about day. I don't know whether you discussed it with George. The the thing about the Davis Cup, about whether that's working and whether we should just be doing the home and away ties. And but this is kind of the problem there because if you do the home and away ties, you could just get random. Any any country can make you play anywhere, so you can't really be going off and having to play Hong Kong in the middle of the European season and mm. that kind of thing. Mm. So. Yeah, there's no obvious yeah. solution, is there? Well, I'm going to the Davis Cup finals this year for the first time um, in Malaga because it's an incredibly cheap place to go and incredibly cheap place to stay. So I'm right. doing the whole week for about 300 euros. But um, I mean, nice. obviously, obviously, I'm I'm not paying out of my pocket, but um, it's, it's saving my company loads of money, which I'm always delighted about. Uh, anyway, I think that's probably all we've got time for. Calvin, thanks very much for dragging yourself out of bed at such an early hour to uh, to join Pleasure. us. And thanks to George for getting up even early. George went to the gym before doing the podcast. It's crazy. It's mental it, behaviour. Yeah, no, it's, com- it's completely abnormal. Um, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Do leave us a rating and a review and, you know, send us some abuse on Twitter because that's what it's for. Um, but most importantly, please do come back next week. 
Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.